0: I was gonna say, I'm a media professional. I can bullshit about anything.
1: This is Chapel Belker. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And I'm
0: Amanda. And I'm Amanda. Whoa! whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs>
2: insert Foghorns. Foghorns? Not I horns. think you're looking for one. like reggae horns, my Air boy. Air horns. Yeah.
0: Bull horns. Regga- <laughs> reggaeton Bull horn. horns, <laughs> That's too. Yeah. The one. So reggaeton we are horns, here. maybe.
1: Yeah, exactly. We are here to review Oregon versus UGA, uh, the duck fry. Don't I mean, you shouldn't fry duck. It doesn't matter. Anyway, it's a very fatty thing, so you don't want to defry it. But anyway, so we are joined by our new special guest, co host person who will come on at will, <laughs> like some sort of beautiful unicorn that wanders into our lives and we say awesome you're here and then she leaves and that's great we are joined today by amanda moll uh twitter dog aficionado and also writer for the atlantic and a real person with a real job hello amanda
0: well i'm not sure how real either of those things are but hello it's great to be here
2: a real person with a real job. I appreciate uh, the, <laughs> that's, the slight that's not, <laughs> that you've given us both. Nathan.
0: That's not something that people often say about uh, like 30 somethings who live in Brooklyn and work in media. So.
2: <laughs> well, as a fellow
0: hey,
1: millennial, you, made
2: it. you know, you're
1: you're living the life that we all strive for. I just assume like you wake up every day and access your your sort of national stockpile of avocado toast and cold brew coffee or whatever, and then destabilize <laughs> the stock market or whatever it is that millennials do. I, mm-hmm, I
0: do have a, a a can of uh stumptown nitro cold brew waiting for me in the fridge when i get done with this i had to take my adhd medication first
2: <laughs> hell yeah you do yeah we had a yeah, whole that's discussion. Another millennial brooklyn thing yeah absolutely <laughs> we had
1: we had a whole discussion yesterday on the band bus about how all of my all of the band staff that has adhd has to drink coffee differently than i do and it turns out that the <laughs> mm-hmm. band staff that has adhd is like 80 percent of them or whatever it's it's like, yeah, oh, is it, <laughs> our creatives are around. Yeah, there's they so all many have, of us. Yeah, they all have an ADHD
2: diagnosis.
0: Yeah, we are a legion at this point. <laughs> we sure are. Yeah, uh, Amanda,
2: before we get into things uh, too heavily, will you tell all the people at home how to find you?
0: Yeah, um, I am uh, too findable, perhaps, uh, some would argue. <laughs> um, I am at Amanda Mall on Twitter. And then I also write at The Atlantic regularly Fantastic. they'd love they'd love for me to write a little bit more but that's the that's the thing with writing uh is uh, that's not up to them <laughs> it, it is sort of up to them <laughs> yeah kind <of>. you know <laughs> um well, but yeah that's the every writer has editors who would love for them to to write more nobody is nobody is writing quite enough because everybody has a uh contentious relationships with deadlines in this industry so
2: mm. Mm. there's that adhd peeking its head back up
0: yeah, yeah it's back <laughs> we all it came have back it. around
2: yeah, so we're we're very excited to have Amanda on today because uh, I think Nathan and Amanda were were or at least Amanda was talking into the Twitter sphere uh, about having a need or at least a desire to be on a podcast, and we said we have one of those. Come join us, and so we would love to. We're you know one game in. We're we, we got a few games ahead of us that are less than exciting and so you know we're really grasping at straws here to to produce whatever it is we can for the next few weeks as we anticipate the Sanford game the Kent State game not too long afterwards (laughs) Um, and so we are very excited to have a sort of vibe check episode so last week we got to see all of our off-season vibes and all of our off-season narratives and now with a game uh, in our our past it's behind us we can kind of see where we're at right now in the season. Does that sound good to both of you?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So if you haven't been here before, we are going to start with our qualitative section, which we use the word qualitative loosely, not as you would in the academic sphere. So if you are a pedant who's a grad student, which I know is, a you know, probably, you know, I don't have to say both of those words you should just shut the hell up about it so we're going to first talk about our experiences and our feelings and our romantic poetry that we wrote as we stared across the cliffs of dover or whatever after this game and then we're going to do a quantitative review after uh, and at that point amanda will go do more important things than this i think and so yeah qualitative review who wants to start who wants to talk about their day on the ground
2: (laughs) my day was pretty straightforward y'all i uh went up to the lake and as we were saying off air, uh, I went up to like lake to pretend to be a rich person for a little while, and it was lovely. You know, I, I started the game with a frozen boulevardier in my hand because brother-in-law Ryan made some because he wanted to make something fancy, and it was fantastic, a little slushy. Um, I had one of those, and there's something about, you know, drinking bourbon on game day that is just not like anything else, and this one was much of the same, where I watched half the game, looked like it was in the bag, and I kind of, uh, you know... Fucked off to do uh, many other things while I sort of watched the game, you know, in my side eye. It was really nice. Um, But yeah, I was there for all of the big moves and enjoyed some sun, enjoyed some rain up there in the mountains. And yeah, it was just a really good day for football. There's not a whole lot of exciting things there other than I woke up the next day knowing for a fact that I drank bourbon on a game day um and i'm just now you know coming back to the real world but what about the both of you i think that you both had some very interesting experiences one of you being across the world so to speak in new york and the other being at the game itself so tell me a little bit about your times go ahead amanda take it away
0: all right well i um i watched the game in new york city um some people might be aware of this i don't know how well this is how how well known this is like throughout the like dog diaspora but new york city has a georgia bar um that is like contracted for um with the alumni association for the uh for the game watch parties um it is american whiskey in uh well, technically it's in chelsea it's near penn station though um <laughs> which is like a different vibe than the rest of chelsea but it is a huge bar two floors fits like 600 people uh it was slap fall. <laughs> For the Georgia game, as it is uh, generally for um, for our games, um, it was fantastic. Uh, the if you ever are in New York on a weekend where we're, we're playing, um, I highly recommend the experience. They go all out for us. Um, it is it's my favorite place to watch a game outside of the stadium itself, honestly. Um, so I was there. It was full. I got there at like two forty five, and it was already almost full. And uh, <laughs> that. <laughs> is is an impressive amount of people that far before kickoff um i walked i walked in and there was a group of like 10 people immediately inside the door about to take a shot like it was uh it was really going in there and uh had a line outside to get in for the entirety of the first half uh there were a lot of dogs in the house the vibes were immaculate um i drank about a million uh what what are the seltzers called that are like vodka sodas and they're not high noons High noons. I drank mm-hmm. about a million um, passion fruit high <laughs> noons because there were buckets of them <laughs> being put on our oh, table, yeah. um, and then some Bud Lights. Um, and the the entire time, <laughs> the there was a like I said a, a line outside to get in from about three o'clock until about halftime. And the the very New York thing about this was that I was walking down the block to get to the bar and I saw a line already. And this was like two forty five, and I was like, "There's not a line to get into this bar already." I have never seen this before. Um, and I got closer and I realized <laughs> that line. Uh, it was a separate line that pr- it also persisted throughout the first half, but it was a line to get into the Fashion Week casting that was next door. Ooh. So there were twin lines all the way down the block of, like, Georgia football fans and then, like, models wearing black <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> for the entirety uh, of like two hours, um, and which is r- really some, you know, sublime visuals going on. A lot of guys in, like, dry fit polos and then, you know, models that are taller than them um, wearing, like, uh v- you know had to toast Spandex black. Um <laughs> yeah. it was a lot. The this the visuals were great. The
2: that the Bizarro version of that is being in Atlanta on the kickoff weekend and you have all of the football fans in one line and then all the Dragon Con fans <laughs> in the other line. <laughs> yeah. Very similar experience. Similar yeah, application yeah. of Spandex often.
0: Yes, yes.
2: Yeah. Also true. Um,
0: but it was great. They at this bar they um they throw uh, red jello shots and like little um you know the things you get like take out ketchup in with little plastic lids on them into the crowd mm. when Georgia scores so they they're just like whipping them at people's heads um I got whacked by one that wasn't quite set in the leg <laughs> so I have a pair of socks but like one of the socks is like pink now <laughs> um, I spent like half the half the game covered in jello shot <laughs> um which is uh you know appropriate I think for uh for what happened so I loved every second of it I had a great time
2: that sounds like a great time. Yeah. Where do you file after this game is over? Like, what, what kind of happens afterwards?
0: Um, this time, I, um, I had a friend, uh, two friends, actually, who were watching um, the 730 games at um, mm-hmm. a sports bar a couple blocks from my apartment, which is the same sports bar where I usually watch um you know when there's not like a huge georgia game going on i I will go into midtown i will get on the train i will cross a river (laughs) to to watch there when (laughs) um when it's a big game and usually if it's not a big game i watch at this bar near my apartment and i had a couple friends there who had been there like all day um (laughs) watching random games um so i went there and there was actually a big contingent of georgia fans there it is like sort of a quasi georgia bar um Mm. so uh I walked in and there was a, there was a a group of probably like eight, 10 Georgia fans uh, who were uh, having an incredible time. And uh, one guy doing an elaborate dance routine um, to (laughs) fat bottom girls. I believe the song was when I walked in Um, and his friend, it's, you know, uh, with their phones, like making a video of it. Uh, It was great. Mm The, the, I think the Georgia fans in that bar were, in fact, even drunk, drunker and happier than the Georgia fans in the Georgia bar. So um, they, we've really come out of the woodwork here since the championship. Oh, yeah.
2: I did look up American whiskey the other day because somebody on the discord mentioned how much fun it was. And that was, like you said, like a quasi Georgia bar. And one of my favorite things, they have a leave a review option. Um, and it only shows one review at a time. And it moves at varying speeds, depending on like where you are on the page. But for the longest time, I was looking at it, and Brittany Brittany C on there had this to say about the smoked guacamole: the guacamole is righteous, and that's all I know about American whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> the guacamole is righteous. I have so never seen this
0: anyone order the guacamole there. It's interesting. I didn't know they make guacamole. <laughs> they make they make f- just for us on Saturdays. They make uh, a really mm. good spicy fried chicken slider. <laughs> Ooh. That I recommend. You can buy them in any quantity you want. Um, and Ooh. I had over the course of the day, I think three of them. Um, they were delicious. Hell They're yeah. really good. The food do there they, is good. Do they still have the like
1: guy play the the battle hymn solo?
0: We haven't had Ooh. that in a while. We used to do that occasionally for uh, big games to get the guy on the trumpet up there on the second level. Um, we haven't had that in a while, but I think we should bring that back. And I might take that up with
1: them. <laughs> yeah, you should. Yeah. There's always an alumni floating around. I have the Redcoat Band alumni email. So anyway yeah i was at the game as i guess everybody knows i had a lot of weird disassociative experiences as is the norm with being on red Coat staff i took the current battle hymn soloist audrey who well she's the only one who's auditioned because we're doing auditions next week for the home game it doesn't matter i, I took one of the battle hymn soloists to a mcgill society fundraiser because so she could play battle hymn and it was like going to a different country It was at the Tabernacle, the new one downtown, and they drove us over there in like a black Chevy Tahoe, and we got there, and we got through security, and they were like, oh, it's so professional that you're here early. Now you have an hour and a half, so y'all just like hang out, and two things happened. One was I was basically like Santa Claus's handler at a Santa Claus convention with a bunch of drunk toddlers, and two, we kept (laughs) outing ourselves as poor people because everything was free, and we kept trying to pay because (laughs) to get into this fundraiser, you have to be in the McGill Society, which is like a $250,000 minimum. So these people just expect- So you've already paid. Yeah, you've already paid your money. So like they had this huge spread of barbecue and food, and we went up, and there was a guy just standing there, and we were like, so how much is this? And he was like, oh no, it's complimentary. And then we went to the bar, and we were trying to get some water, and I was like, hey, can I have a couple of waters? And he brings me like liquid death canned water, and I was like, okay, now (laughs) we're in the big town. We're not doing Dasani around here. But- then I had to just sort of sit there as we sat down and the Battle Hymn Sola sat down and then people just came up to her as though she were the Easter Bunny and like took pictures with her for about an hour. (laughs) Um, Let's see. And then I met Mike White, the new basketball coach. He was very nice. He was was there to do like just go out there and call the dogs. And he was very concerned about making sure he called the dogs correctly because I think this was like his first public appearance. Very nice guy. Taller than I thought he would be. Let's see. It's very high Um, stakes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I and then when we got into the game, it was a pretty straightforward experience. Like we've been to MBS so many times at this point that like nothing really went wrong. I saw Julian Rochester, who I used to edit his papers when he was in college because he was there for so long, <laughs> and he was really he remembered me and it was really cool. And then I uh, we, we got to hang out with Jordan Davis for a little bit. He was there. He can Jordan Davis continues to be like the best human in the universe. He just like sat on the sidelines before halftime for like 20 minutes and talked to the redcoats and took a bunch of pictures and just like was generally like a good dude to be a multimillionaire. Let's see. Uh, Greg Sankey credential checked me. So that was like, (laughs) he just like walked by and just like stared at my (laughs) credential and then stared at me. And he was like, cool, good. And then he walked away and I was like, Oh, that was Greg Sankey. The hell. Uh, Let's see.
0: (laughs) This happened to me one time. Tom Brokaw did that to me one time.
2: That, I, I would, that's awesome. Dude, <laughs> yeah. when you're on the boards <laughs> no for that.
1: When you're any place with credentials, you see the weirdest shit. Like, you see the weirdest people. You're just like, like, Quavo was there. And I was like, was that Quavo? And then he just, like, walked <laughs> by and I was like, oh, huh. huh.
0: That, that's Quavo. Um, and, oh, while I have interrupted, I'm sorry. Uh no, it's okay. Smith was at the Game game Watch party last night, Uh, yesterday, uh Saturday with us. Oh, beautiful uh, boy. Yeah, we get former players uh, before the season starts. Uh, Roquan, this is his second year, I believe, with us. And Maria Taylor comes sometimes now that she's not on college football. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of fun. You never know who you're going to spot. I sat, I watched an Auburn game na- next to Matt Stafford one time. Huh. Yeah. Highly that's recommend awesome. the New York Georgia Bar experience. Anyway, sorry, I totally interrupted.
1: No, no, that's great. No, please. I, I, Matt Stafford, he was a freshman when I was a sophomore, And I I remember to this day him being, like, one of the only people on campus who was, like, my size imprint. And so (laughs) I used to class check and, like, make sure they would go to class. And he was, like, the only athlete that would come through that I was, like, oh, look, there are athletes my size. (laughs) Just, like, tall, shaped like a refrigerator box, kind of lanky, dumb-looking motherfucker, or whatever.
0: I (laughs) I sold him a PS4 at Best Buy when they came out. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. The Athens Best Buy. (laughs) Oh, the, Big fan, big fan S- of
2: Matt Sitter Stafford. Sitter of American there for the, com- uh, American Midnight commerce. Release.
1: Um, <laughs> yes. Let's see. I saw. Oh, Vid was there. They did like they they sang Happy Birthday to him in the pregame show. We played Happy Birthday, and everybody sang to him because it was his ninetieth birthday. I don't know if that made the telecast, but they had like a like a big cake they took out for him, and they like cut him a piece, and he blew out a candle. And he's the most adorable, beautiful boy in the world, and he's ninety <laughs> yesterday, and he looks like. He is one of those older people who, as he gets older, he just gets cuter somehow. Like, mm-hmm. he's just like a cute old man now. Um, God, you know, God allow that we should all get to 90 and look like a, a cute Keebler elf. Let's see. Um, it helps to have a lot of money. Yeah, I got yeah, probably. He just, it's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I got a really good video, the first ever good video I've ever shot of Stetson's like backyard Bo Nicks touchdown where he like ran around and almost got sacked twice. I was standing like on the yard line where he threw from and I got a really good video of it. And I was proud because I'm traditionally really bad at taking videos and photos. I got my mm-hmm. yearly Ugga picture with Ugga and he was like, <laughs> he looked like Dark Kermit because it's like had, like the shadow from the thing was over his eyes. And so now I, anytime I see him, I think about him just being like, do it. Should I have this beer when I get home? Ugga? and Ugga's like, do it, you know, like, do it. Um, <laughs> he's like Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, I mean, it was a good day. It was weird. We were talking about it before the. We were talking about it before the show because we do all of our best work when we're not being recorded. That it, it's sort of weird to be a fan of a team that just sort of casually deconstructs, like atomizes another team, right? It, it was. I I sort of felt bad. Well, like let's talk. Let's talk about vibes, like. Where are our vibes right Vibe now? Check. Vibe check me, everybody,
2: please. Hit us with the vibes, Amanda. Share some of them.
0: I think the vibes are immaculate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, about halfway through yesterday's game, somebody who was standing near me at the bar leaned over to me and went, is Stetson Bennett a Heisman candidate? And like 30 seconds later, later, I got a text from a, a friend in Atlanta who that said, Stetson Bennett going to New York? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and then a couple more people over the course of the day said the same thing to me. And like, you know, I, who knows what shall befall us in the future, but for right now, the vibes could not be better.
2: Yeah. One, one of the STBCs that uh, we got in our Discord this week was from Kyle Sargent. And he said, is Stetson going to get drafted? <laughs> Which is, <laughs> I think is a pretty similar vibe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because that's not something we expected I- whatsoever.
1: Uh, not to yeah. get not to get too technical or anything at the at the risk of like being the guy who like will actually during this five check, but I do think like yesterday was sort of it was Kirby Smart being like hey by the way like we can throw the ball like I don't know if you saw the quote yeah. if you saw his quotes afterwards he was like I want anyone who comes to Georgia to know that we're gonna score a lot of points and throw the ball. And it was like, hold on, Kirby, did mm-hmm. you just choose how you beat a top ten team or a top eleven team by forty six points just based on recruiting wide receivers? And like, yeah, Kirby, I can't, did Kirby feel that wants one.
0: The, the dudes. Yeah, I can't. Mm-hmm.
1: I can't rule out that he chose the way that he like manually vivisected a team in the top, you know, fifteen, just so he could get a five star wide receiver. Which I mean, my hat's off to him. The vibes are immaculate right now. Mm-hmm. I think if Stetson plays like this at every game, yeah, he's going to New York. I mean, I doubt he'll win because he's white and Mm -hmm. short and doesn't look like a quarterback that would win. And I don't mean that like in a reverse racism way. I just mean that like a certain kind of white guy wins the Heisman and Stetson is not that kind of white guy. Um, Yeah, but I think he definitely could be there at the ceremony.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that at this point like you know the the Heisman needs narratives the Heisman wants to make like feel good uh segments about itself um and I think that like Stetson doesn't win the Heisman but if like Stetson continues to play like decently well then the Heisman committee is going to go oh man yeah <laughs> we can make some we can make some content about this guy it would mm-hmm. be nice to have him there because that's a nice finish to the uh to the uh you know uh the narrative uh right Mm -hmm. so why not you need stories
1: we need so we can cut the five minute human interest piece about him or whatever i was yeah (laughs) on rewatch of the game i was actually kind of shocked about how i mean pleasantly shocked about how not masturbatory the coverage of stetson was you know and i and that is actually something i expect will probably change if he keeps winning and he keeps Mm -hmm. playing well it's gonna be do you remember the LSU game where Zach Mettenberger came back, and all they could talk about was how Matt Stafford and Zach Mettenberger had, been, or no, Aaron Murray and Zach Mettenberger had been roommates? Do y'all remember that? Yes. Yeah, That's I like, remember that. Like they know each other. Like I think the better that he plays, the more it's going to be like. Did y'all know he was a walk on? Like, like as it, it's. It's the, it's what my wife and I would call like the Aragorn effect. Like, you know, the one scene in the two towers where he kicks the, where he kicks the helmet and everyone immediately is like, do you know, he actually broke his foot and it becomes like a meme because everyone (laughs) knows it at this point. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, if we win every game 46 to nothing, I'll deal with bad broadcasting. Like I don't care or, you know, 49 to 30. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: yeah, I will, I will listen to any, any amount of, uh, some bennett hagiography in order to keep winning games like that like whatever back the truck up cover yeah. me in it That's <laughs> for real.
1: yeah for real hit <laughs> us with schmaltz it. it schmaltz it me to death so what are we yeah. Yeah. all right so let's talk expectations uh the most sort of freighted word in co- college football fandom i feel like at this point it's fair to say we should go 12-0 and in the regular season right
2: well Let's take one step back and talk about what else happened in, in the the league this weekend, too. There were other teams playing this weekend that did, quote, and this is a audio medium, but I'm using some quotes, quote-unquote well. Uh, one of those being Florida, which is going to be part of the Florida narrative all season mm, long, is mm-hmm. like how they're doing. So I'll th- I'll say we should definitely talk about that 12-0 with that caveat as well. Well, that
1: actually leads us in. I don't want to get into the quantitative preview too early, but per the 24-7 sports composite, UGA is the second most talented team or the first. I can't remember which it's, it's really close between like, it's like Alabama is the most talented team ever in 24 seven. And then there's a gap and I think it's UGA next. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, I think if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, that Oregon was seventh in the 24 seven talents composite. And then on the rest of the schedule, the closest team to that is 12th, which is Florida. So Mm -hmm. yeah, could be feels good. It, it does feel really good
2: what's I our vibe check there yeah I, I don't know
1: amanda tell it like is it is 12-0 reasonable at this point
0: yeah like halfway through you know once once yet uh saturday started to like set in and we all realized that like oh this is <laughs> this is real this is happening um a friend of mine who was up from athens that watched the game with us at the bar pulled up Georgia's schedule for this year and showed it to me and he was like which of these games are we losing <laughs> He was like, I don't think any of them. Um, and I had not really interfaced with what Georgia's schedule is like to this point. Like I was like, okay, we got to play Oregon and we'll see what happens. I had not like looked at it deeply and I, and I, I really looked at it and I was like, well, um, as long as the <laughs> cocktail party goes, well, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, and I watched exactly I watched correct. that Florida Utah game and like, well, first of all, uh, somebody needs to tell Kyle Whittingham about dry fit. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. I don't think I had ever seen a, um, a Power Five college football coach uh, coach a game not in dry fit for good reason, especially at the beginning of the season in the Deep South. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I was not like overly impressed with Florida. I mean, they're fine. Anthony Richardson seems like a dude, but um, we beat him last year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I think. Well, first of all, I do want to, I do want to briefly pause and I don't want to like out my, my wife's level of interest in college football or whatever, or like contribute to any (laughs) negative stereotypes. But my wife, part of her deep interest in college football is like how hot the opposing coaches are. So like, she really likes, she thinks Dan Lanning is like the hottest college football coach. So
0: really? Really?
1: Yeah, she loves Dan Lanning. Well, no, she really Has like, she seen Marcus I Freeman? Well no, no Marcus Freeman, <laughs> yeah. sorry, Marcus Freeman and Dan Lanning are like one and two. And then before that I, it, I agree with that. It, it was Cliff Kingsbury, was always like the guy, but he's in the NFL. But she was like, Can we watch more Oregon games throughout the year? And I was like, Yeah, sure. And she's like, And Notre <laughs> yeah. Dame games and I was like, Yeah, sure. But her comment on Kyle Whittingham was like, That's just like a hot dad who's not taking care of himself right now. He needs to. Yeah. He needs to do more for his like, you know, just like work more with where he is looks wise.
0: Yeah. He's a he's a handsome guy. We need we need to get him um, the dry fit
1: first yeah. and foremost mm-hmm.
0: but yeah I, when they when they kept showing dan lanning on the sideline um who is i think the same age as i am i think he's 36 um i was like mm-hmm. the man has immaculate skin i need to know about his um his moisturizing routine first of all um and second of all i was like i hope this doesn't age him too much i hope he doesn't start yeah. getting all kinds of wrinkles because <laughs> <laughs> coaching Oregon is stressful well,
1: hopefully if he does he kind of goes the obama route where he kind of just like silver like salt and pepper foxes it just a graze bit. it out yeah. He'll
0: he'll look real good as a salt and pepper or silver fox. I can tell you that um, he's a he's a handsome man.
1: I'm not saying for sure that this is why Dan Lanning has such good skin, but Dan Lanning is definitely married to a woman of color, and so I'm just gonna assume that that's why his skin is so good because she's got him on like a someone uh,
0: has told him about lotion.
1: Yeah, yeah, she's got him on a, on a moisturizing <laughs> yes. routine that actually works, right?
0: Yeah, somebody's got to tell white guys about lotion in yeah. their lives. Yes. It's important. Yeah, oh, that
2: w- that was my greatest off-season perk and and growth moment this year. Is that I someone taught me about lotion. I had no idea. Yeah. It was like there's a whole world out there that I was kept from because yeah. I was conditioned and raised as a boy.
0: Yeah, it when feels my, nice. This is it the feels worst.
1: nice. When my when I first moved in with my wife in grad school, she definitely like house broke me. And one of the things was like we're gonna use moisturizer every morning, or whatever. And I just got. Mm-hmm. Uh, Well, I, I, like, two years ago, I figured out the whole, like, gel thing just, like, really works for me. Like, hydrating gels are just, like, Mm -hmm. "Mm." And so now that's my, like, every
2: day. I think it's the Clinique (laughs) hydrating gel. Like, anyway, this is a college football podcast. So I really appreciate the way that this has gone because I'm ready to go talk again about Marcus Freeman now that he's been brought up. And we're talking about getting moisturized. Like, we have our priorities straight. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. I will say Marcus
1: Freeman (laughs) He gives me the, like, he kind of has, like, a Lakeith Stanfield vibe to me where he's just, like, a dude who just has his whole look. Like, he just, like, understands his look from top to bottom. Like, he just knows Mm -hmm. how he looks and how to make that look work. And, like, in the college football coaching world, I would say most college football coaches are, like, accidentally hot. And I think that Marcus, Marcus Freeman, like the great thing about him is that like, he means to be hot. Like he knows he's good looking and it's like premeditated the whole thing. Like his line is always cut up correctly. His fate is immaculate every time. Like just mm, perfect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) Marcus Freeman and Dan Lanning both have like really beautiful wives also Mm -hmm. like just very attractive college football coaching couples, which is, you know, impressive because most college football coaches are just kind of schlubby guys yeah a lot Mm -hmm. of them a lot of them have beautiful wives but most of them do not do not bring that to the table themselves but you know this this younger crop of coaches yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. they
1: figured it out also Marcus (laughs) freeman has like a beautiful mormon looking family he has like a lot of kids (laughs) one two three four i think he has well yeah it was catholic sorry one two
2: three four five yeah he has (laughs) six kids wow it's like it's a different kind of mormon you know um one, one thing I want to loop back around on is a, a quote from the previous episode, the, the preview episode. We were talking about Desmond Howard and something he was saying about this Georgia team because, you know, he just needs to talk and fill air, basically. So one thing that Desmond Howard was quoted as saying was in reference to Stetson Bennett. He suggested that sixth-year, 24-year-old quarterback Stetson Bennett – We'll need to do more to lead the team that was required of him a season ago because of the imminent defensive drop off. And I wanted to pitch that to both of you to see how do we feel now with this game in our rearview mirror about this quote.
0: Well, I think that I think that like on on some level he's like not wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. but like I think he said it in a way that was like unnecessarily dismissive. Like, Mm -hmm. I think he's probably right on the merits that, like, it's important for Stett to have, like, um, you know, some of the details ironed out that maybe weren't ironed out at the same point in last season. There's no reason to think that he wouldn't because, like, hello, he has now played a full season as a... um, not a full season but most of the full season as a starter and won us a national championship so of course he's going to be better than he was in the beginning of the season last year um so like i think that it's one of those things that like he's just stating a basic fact but doing it in such a way that it makes him sound uh like pretty dismissive um and like i don't know if des like drew the short straw or or what this season on game day but like his playoff picks are insane um, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so yeah. i don't know if he just like it's his turn to be the guy that says weird shit um that uh that people talk about on twitter maybe they maybe they you know trade off um being that guy but <laughs> um but yeah it's like it was one of those, and this happened a lot during the preseason for Georgia. I, I listened to and, and watched and read a lot of preseason coverage, and there were people just saying pretty like straightforward stuff that like it was like factually correct, but saying it in such a way that like um, uh, suggested a level of doubt that like I don't think was justified um, based mm-hmm. on like who we have coming back and who our personnel is on both sides of the ball and like what kind of recruits we have. And then like um, I I think uh, in in hindsight after that. Oregon game I think my impression of that was correct like of course like the new guys on the defense will have to step up of course Det will have to play like a second year starter but like why wouldn't we think that any of that would happen why wouldn't the assumption be that that will probably work out okay and we'll see if it doesn't Mm -hmm.
1: yeah I I think that there is some probably warranted distrust of UGA's offensive approach right is part of it Yeah. yeah because like let's we don't have to pretend even though we all love Kirby that he wasn't a little bit head up his ass about the way that offensive football worked when he first came here. And that Mm -hmm. really showed in his first two coordinator hires. Right. And I think the thing that compounds it is that, I mean, again, like I think Stetson just doesn't like, he's not, he doesn't have like an NFL arm. I know, but in terms of what a college quarterback does, he pretty much can do the whole thing and the difference between him and someone like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud is probably less than we'd like to think. Right. And I think part of the issue from a national sort of a national level is that he just doesn't look like a college quarterback. I mean, he doesn't, I mean, if you see him without uh, in street clothes, he just looks like, you know, a frat guy that would say some really problematic things at a bar. I mean, I, I'm not saying he's problematic, <laughs> but I'm just saying like his whole aura. Right. And so I think that's probably part of the issue as well is just that, Yes, he is less athletic than a guy like Bryce Young. Yes, he probably doesn't have an uh you know a, an NFL arm like Bryce Young does. But they're the same height and weight. You know what I'm saying? And like, it's not like Stetson is less fast than him on foot. So the difference is, I mean, there is a difference, but it's not like a massive one. I mean, even C.J. Stroud is only like six one, right? So like, I, I do think that there is sort of a an aesthetic quality to sort of some of the national coverage of Stetson and the offense in general, and. Uh, one of the things that we said or that I I wrote this big piece over at dog sports when we first hired Munkin about how essentially Todd Munkin is an air raid, Oklahoma state guy who just wants to throw it down the field all the time. And I think that part of the problem was that when he first came in, we didn't really have the, the weapons to do that. And another part of the problem is that Kirby was still sort of in the midst of his transformation into someone who cares about the forward pass. Right. And so i don't know i mean i i don't think this whole like air raid style uga offense where we throw 60 percent of the time is really going away like i think that's just what it is now and that it's going to take a second for the national media to adjust to that
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. and something that i thought most of last season but nobody asked me to be on a podcast so i didn't get to say um, was that <laughs> um was that i think that like you know i'm a big fan of like Shut down, Fullcast and uh, Split Some Duo, and I listen to those guys every week. Friends of the po- friend of the podcast, love them. Um, but mm-hmm. the entire time, I was thinking, I was like, you know, if if Stetson played any place but Georgia, if he was like at Purdue or Arizona State or Pitt or whatever, and was playing how he played for us, like everybody would think he was, like, fantastic and lovable and entertaining and whatever, but I think there's just, like, this incongruity um, between, you know, having a quarterback like that and being a program like Georgia, where it's like, it's like, yes, this guy is sort of fun, but, like, we know what you want to do with him, and we don't think you can, and it's funny that you keep doing this with, like, quarterbacks that just, like, can't do it, that can't quite get there. Um, So I think that there's, like, a a context around Stetson that he is not necessarily responsible for that uh, that changes how people perceive him in ways Mm -hmm. that like you know like i said if he was at purdue or arizona state or Pitt or like you know one of those like sort of scrappy sort of can be fun um schools with like lower expectations then he would be like you know uh, a favorite of of all of these uh media outlets that um that have been a little bit more, like, uh, negative about him. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I can under, sort of understand that why that is, because it is sort of frustrating, you know, it has been frustrating as a Georgia fan to see us have, you know, all these skill position players that are just incredible, and then, like, not be able to, like, quite put it together and often have it be, like, the quarterback who just isn't quite doing it like he needs to do it. Um, but, yeah, I think that, you know, I – I have, I have really come around on Stetson. I thought people were too mean from him from the beginning, because even when he was like, you know, in 2020, he was doing more than he should have been asked to do at a time that yeah. like, mm-hmm. and he was like doing it pretty capably. Like he wasn't perfect, but like he was as much as you could ask for a backup quarterback. Um, and, you know, I, I have come around to fully uh, Stetson Bennett uh, protect him at all costs. Yeah.
1: I, I, I agree. I think, not I, I don't I don't want to call this person out because I want him to come on our show and I love him as a as a human and I listen and read to everything he does but I just think Stephen Godfrey has some has a wrong bad opinion about UGA's offense you know what I mean and, and yeah I agree
0: I love Godfrey but I agree
1: and, and like I think one of the interesting things that you saw is that like he got kind of some pushback from uh, RJ on that when he talks about it and I think but I think you're right it, it's like one of the things that I always have thought about, like, I think Shuttail Fullcast is a good example of this, is like, Shuttail Fullcast sometimes dislikes UGA for reasons that are right. You know, like, we're not lovable in some ways. Mm-hmm. And they're, and like, yes. I, I fully admit, I fully will cop to the fact that my exposure to the UGA fan base is probably very different than the average person's exposure to, like, let's say the sort of Buckhead OTP UGA fan. As someone who lives in Athens and is mostly around UGA students and, you know, weird, you know, sort of alternative UGA people or whatever, but it it does, it does grate the nerves occasionally, I will admit, even when I'm like, okay, yes, probably some of us deserve this, the sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, tucked shirt crowd, uh, UGA crowd probably does deserve (laughs) that derision. There, There are times where I'm like, okay, guys, like, have you ever been to Athens? Because it is definitely a lot more tattooed and pierced than you're making it out to be like in a, in a very like, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think Depends that, on where you hang out. I think that sometimes the, um, you know, the, the stereotype of UGA fans that, that tends to surface in, in those platforms is like not incorrect for like a sizable portion of the fan base, but also like, you know, uh, Georgia fans are like a, a, broader and weirder fan base than I think we get credit for. Um, as far as, you know, tattooed and pierced first and you know second just like being just like pretty regular like i don't think we're as religious as they joke about us being like i think that there are most of the other sec fan bases are probably more like you know what's your pastor doing than we are (laughs) yeah (laughs) um yeah but like you know it's a bit and sometimes you just go with the bit even if the bit doesn't quite work so as someone who who has done that many times in my life for public consumption you know i respect
1: out. yeah yeah I, I, I respect the game right like i respect the grind you know you gotta you gotta right you gotta get the, keep those numbers up well <laughs> Jay Bray, amanda do we have anything else in the qualitative side of things i, I don't want to keep amanda from her you know valuable
2: time very very important life i ain't doing shit today um <laughs> i was just I was just about to ask if we wanted to talk a little bit about numbers with Amanda. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to ask what your deadline for for your expiration date for being on today was.
0: I am going to get up and get that can of coffee out of my out of my fridge and I will come Mm -hmm. and sit back down in two minutes and rejoin the podcast for for the stats part. I was gonna say I'm a media professional. I can bullshit about anything. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So now it's time for my personal favorite segment on the show, which is the quantitative review of the Oregon UGA game. So what you're going to hear in this is we'll be talking some stats. We'll be talking some schematic stuff. We'll be talking about the individual plays and sort of how the flow of the game was affected by the numbers that we see. As always, our numbers are going to come from the very talented Ross Rutledge over at R2 Sports Metrics as well as the Game on Paper Advanced Box Score Reviews, which is which are at GameOnPaper.com. Those are also powered by Robert Binion and the Binion uh, Index. We'd also like to thank, before we get into this, all of the people who are helping us out with our, our numbers, uh, which would be Stephen Jorner, Stephen at Ryan Moore, and Ross Rutledge. So,
2: Justin, quantitative me, baby. Oh, man. Quantitate me. It's it's beautiful to finally be able to look at you know a full stat sheet from this year and see without pure speculation what this team is going to look like this season and may I say it is good Uh, something I did end up finding myself saying to my parents-in-law this weekend was that these stats were pornographic in nature uh, which led to them both blushing but also giggling because they think that Christian guilt is hilarious and so there we are Um, here we are with the numbers though something I'm going to to really lean heavily on is the team stat section of this because this is a new concept Sort of dashboard that Robert Binions placed on here that I think is really neat. And so, as Nathan said, if you want to follow along, go to gameonpaper.com, find the Oregon Georgia game, and hop right in here. But there's a lot of really neat sort of dashboards in here: the the EPA chart, the win probability, the game excitement index. But so yeah, I'm gonna hop right into these team stats and um, talk a little bit through what we're seeing here. But um, from top to bottom, pretty much this Georgia team. Uh, For EPA per play, success rate, yards per play, EPA per dropback, EPA per rush, yards per dropback, et cetera, et cetera, those were all in the 100th percentile, meaning that what we saw today if today was saturday still was better than 100% of what we saw last year as far as those offensive components were concerned the pieces that weren't as you know uh, high of a percentile were explosive play rate which was 34th percentile defensive run stuff rate which is 75th percentile and then havoc rate great was just 8th percentile which i feel like you know schematically that makes sense for an early in the season game but i'd love to hear both of your sort of uh you know, opinions, observations, or how does that, I guess, mesh with your experience from Saturday, those numbers we're looking at?
1: Well, so EPA is expected points added, which is basically just like, so if we look at EPA per drop back, it's like every time Stetson dropped back with a ball in his hands to throw the ball, how many points did he add to UGA's expected score? So if he dropped back on first and 10 from the 20 and he threw a 20 yard pass to first and 10 from R40, what is the difference in average points scored against all teams Uh, between those two right so if you if you take every team who snaps the ball you know first and 10 on the 20 they score on average of something like two points whereas first and 10 on you know the opponent's 45 it's more like three points right and so that would be a one point per play when we look at epa anything close to one is incredible so what really stands out Mm -hmm. to me is the epa per drop back of uh, 0.78 right is really really good epa per rush of 0.24 is not I mean, it's great compared to what UGA did last year because I think UGA's probably best running days are behind it for the time being, just because that's the way college football is changing. But .78 drop back per drop back is just, I mean, it's like Ohio State Alabama level, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think to me, it sort of confirms something that I sort of suspected uh, that would be the case, you know, this year I or at least uh, let's say that I hoped. That I hoped would be the case this year, which is that I think that UGA's offense has revived in the 21st century. This is, you know, if I'm, I'm trying to pull up some some sort of like comparative stats to show you to show like how interesting or how good this is. So, like for instance, if we look at Tennessee's game against Ball State yesterday, which they won 59 to 10. So, if for instance you look at Tennessee, sort of a a team known for its prolific passing offense and known for just throwing the shit out of the ball, Tennessee against Ball State, a way less talented team than Oregon yesterday, averaged about 0.45 EPA per dropback, right? So we doubled up Tennessee's EPA per dropback against a top 15 team. And I, I think that it is easy to underestimate the degree to which we defeated this team. Like, it was not just a defeat Mm -hmm. on the scoreboard, right? Every turnover is worth, on average, about four points per turnover. So what I'm I'm trying to get across to you is that, like, even if Bo Nix doesn't throw those two interceptions, this is probably still something like a 41 to 10 game, right? Or 42 to 10. This was a complete Mm -hmm. destruction at sort of the molecular level. Like, this was a a fission experiment (laughs) gone wrong. This was like, we we Dr. Manhattan to them. Except not the cool kind where they come back as like a naked blue guy, like the
2: the just dead kind. Well, how are you feeling about it, Amanda?
0: Yeah, something that's interesting to me in these numbers, and like as a person who does not really look at numbers, uh, maybe I'm reading this incorrectly, but like our explosive play rate is pretty low. Is like not not that impressive, and like you know that matches my um, my perception of watching the game is that like we didn't have to do anything fancy to absolutely beat the shit out of them we were taking mm-hmm. stuff at the perimeter we were you know we were just you know throwing it around a little bit and uh we did not have to um overextend ourselves or go for like low percentage plays downfield in order to just absolutely eviscerate them mm-hmm. um and like that is impressive to me to, to have a a um a score that the the differential that huge while not being like particularly explosive just like doing like football basics and just beating them on, on mm-hmm. those is is to me, um, like perfectly matches my experience of watching the game where it's just like, you know, we weren't, uh, we didn't give them like the old razzle dazzle or anything. We we just like played really extremely competent football. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that was all it took.
1: Yeah, like a highly efficient drive, like a, a highly efficient team, our team production <laughs> overall, but not necessarily the most explosive, I think is absolutely appropriate. And if you look at the running game, which was probably like the one thing that we would like to see more out of we only had you know on on rushing plays we had 25 rushes about 40 percent of our plays were rushes and you know our success rate was not super great like we had two stuffed runs and five stopped runs so stuffed runs are less than you know like less than or equal to zero and then stopped runs are less than or equal to two so 20 percent of our runs didn't really do much for us uh we only had about 2.79 line yards per carry so which is fine. Like that is just a competent running offense. Right. And I think to me, that's sort of significant in the sense that it shows just where we are in terms of how this offense is probably going to work going forward. Right. We, we threw the ball 37 times for 439 yards, right? Uh, 11.86 yards per play, right? 28.72 EPA on just passing it passing attempts. That's remarkable. But also just, I think, a sign of where this is going to be going forward, right? We had 5.92 overall yeah. EPA uh, on rushes, uh, 5.28 yards per play, which is still fine. Like, it wasn't like the rush game was anemic. I think part of it was that Oregon came out selling out to beat the run. They were doing a lot of run stunts and run blitzes. And you we just decided we we're going to throw over top of that. And I think another part of it is, is that, like, if you let Todd Munkin do what he wants, he's just going to throw it. Like that's, this was the guy who was the, he was the, the year that I think 2007, the year that Oklahoma state almost went to the national championship. He was their offensive coordinator, right? Like he is, he was the Mm -hmm. Justin Blackman OSU offensive coordinator. He, he wants to, I think his default state when he doesn't have anyone in his way is that he's just going to throw the shit out of the ball. But I think you're right, Amanda, that the, the low explosive play rate, I think is indicative not of our inability to get explosive plays, but also just. The fact that we didn't need them there were just guys wide open at every level of the field there was no reason to desperation chuck it down the field and also i would say that like the explosive play rate can be kind of uh deceptive because they define explosive plays as uh on passing plays as an epa of over 2.4 so that's like a really big play i would say that uga had quite a few like just below explosive plays where it's like plays of 25 to 35 yards as opposed to 40 to 50. And when you, when you can Mm. kind of do those at will, you don't really need to chuck the ball down the field.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And also I think that maybe this is like also perhaps reflective of like what happens when you make the whole team out of tight ends.
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Which, which is, which is going great so far. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm turns out
2: that's a good move well what's <laughs>
0: tight ends what's actually undervalued players yeah absolutely what's absolutely
1: crazy is that like i just talked a little shit, of shit about our running game but if we look at our success rate like 52 percent success rate is really good on pass on rushing attempts and then we had 65 mm-hmm. percent success rate on passing attempts which i think is sort of indicative also of like you said like we're gonna just run 13 or 14 personnel i mean just i i it's hard not to be agog gog uh, about the tight ends. <laughs> like I, I have no words for the for the the sheer majesty of Darnell Washington hurdling a guy after throwing a dude yeah. down like he was made of crepe paper. Like it was just there. It was beautiful.
0: There are some Pretty incredible some shots of him having having uh gotten the ball and turned to run where everybody around him just looks like maybe two thirds the size of him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. He is just an enormous man and uh men that enormous shouldn't be that athletic shouldn't be hurdling dudes yeah um that's uh that's something for your springy little uh running back to be doing but yeah you know darnell washington god bless him and his big number zero (laughs) i love that he wears number zero yeah yeah
2: (laughs) the the so i i do really love nathan that uh you you had to pick that one thing like those you had to pick some things out to say like ah this could have been better and I do believe you're right. It's just crazy to me that the reference point that you know, bringing it back to those team stats and and sort of that percentile ranking is like, if that's what we have to get better at, great, because it was better than what we did last year, and we won a national championship last mm-hmm. year per this percentile rating. Yeah, and
1: and I think <laughs>
2: which is pretty insane. One of the still. things
1: I said on Twitter yesterday, and I, I mean, obviously, I'm going to say this out loud again, and it's going to sound like total Greek tragedy hubris. Like it's going to sound like it's going to sound like Oedipus being like, I would never do anything with my mom or whatever. Like, and and I get that. I get that <laughs> even recording. This is probably like, I just tempting the fates. But one of the things I tweeted yesterday was that I would say that this team looks very Alabama like, but they may just look Georgia like, and mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to win the national championship or the SEC championship this year, but I do know that of the four recruiting classes in, the in the on this team right now, the ranks of the first three were one, two, and one. And the ranks of the third one was three. And so this is a team that I mean, we should win every game. And when we don't, I mean we might not, right? But like if we look if you look at the overall season predictions still, like most Pythagorean wins have us at somewhere between eleven and twelve. Like this is a this is a team that mm-hmm. Rolling the ball out on a, at a random place, walking off the bus and just playing we're gonna have better players than every team that we play that's not named Alabama or Ohio State
0: yeah and well Kirby just flat out said that like
1: yeah we mm-hmm. have better players yeah and like it's is that not weird do you all have uh, do you all have like a a sort of a sense of like unreality about that sometimes
0: yeah the the vibe not to go back to vibes while we're in the non vibe section but the uh everybody at the at the bar on saturday um there was just sort of this sense of like stunned unreality i think is a good word for it Mm -hmm. like because i i think that you know inside every georgia fan is is a person that expects even in the best of times for us to roll out and do like a little worse than we wanted um even if we're even if we win the games Even if, you know, we end the season ranked in a good spot, like there is this, there is this sense of like this, however it goes, it's not going to go quite as well as I was hoping, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, so I, um, you know, I went into this game believing, you know, I took, I took the dogs and the points. Like I I thought we were going to win probably by 2021. Um, And, uh, but I was like nervous that we you know, might only win by 14 and Oregon might look scrappy and we might look flat footed. Um, And there was a real sense that, that I thought that was going to happen. And I think that some of the people with me at the bar also sort of had this, you know, these thoughts like swirling around inside their head because there's been so many seasons as a Georgia fan where that is just sort of what happens. Um, and, And I think everybody around me and I definitely just sort of was like, is this what this is like now? Do we just mm-hmm. roll up on the number eleven team in the country on the first on the first game of the season and just absolutely boat race them? Like, is this happening? <laughs> is this going to continue to happen? Is this yeah. is this our lives now?
1: <laughs> yeah, I I was struck by just sort of watching it live, like being there. I I you know, well, I mean, like y'all have been to games, you know how it is. It's like there's you just see stuff that like isn't on the broadcast. And one of the things that really struck me about mm-hmm. being there live was that they just couldn't cover our wide receivers, right? And so, what was shot? Like, we've spent the last six months being like, UGA can't cover wide, re- or can't recruit wide receivers. UGA like has a problem with skill players getting negatively negatively rec- recruited on because they have an offense that doesn't employ wide receivers correctly. And I was kind of struck just struck by the idea that like this is the number eleven team in the country nominally, and they just cannot hang with our talent. Like, it doesn't really matter what we're doing; they're not covering these guys. And so. There is a sense, if I have any word of caution to everyone listening, it's that I don't know how much I think we found out a lot about UGA's team this about just sort of like what we want the what the coaches want the team to be. But I don't know how much we found out about the metal of this team because until UGA plays someone that can cover their skill guys, I don't know that we're really gonna know what the depths of this team is. And what's interesting about this season is that like that might not happen until the cocktail party. Like, and even mm. then, I don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, like South Carolina is good, but they don't have, you know, three linebackers and a cornerback that are going to go to the NFL. And, and until mm-hmm. I think UGA has sort of figured out. And if I, if I had, I have a suspicion that Todd Munkin has figured out that if they can't cover our skill guys, it just doesn't matter. Right. Like if they don't have dudes who can run with not just like the tight ends, but like Lad McConkey and Dominic Blaylock and uh, Ad Mitchell, like. We, you don't think of UJ as a as a team that has particularly deep wide receiver room and, and that might be the case, but you got to remember that like that lack of depth is still supplanted by four and five stars right like and so I, it is interesting because I don't know how much we're gonna know about this team until they either lose a game unexpectedly or play someone that has dudes who can run and I, when is yeah. that gonna happen like <laughs> I, I,
2: I don't know
0: that pretty much yeah
2: that says it that's that's the whole that's the whole tweet
0: yeah and i i think that i felt sort of like this last season in some ways like um you know i didn't worry about our defense obviously but i I sort of felt like well you know what happens when we get into a game where someone like comes out and hits us in the mouth um like how do we react to that because there there have you know there have been georgia teams in the past where where we look pretty good and then somebody comes out and hits us in the mouth and we don't know what the fuck to do Mm -hmm. Sorry, I didn't ask if I could swear. No, on this, you can. But you're fine. I'm swearing, you're fine. Um, cool. It's not NPR,
2: Amanda. You're
0: fine. <laughs> I, I do have to give myself a little pep talk before I go on live radio that I can't swear. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I last year I was like, you know, if when Tennessee marched down the field on the first drive, I was like, all right, like mm-hmm. nobody's done that to us yet. Mm-hmm. Is this is this where we sort of fold, or is this? we get back up and just play our game and we got back up and played our game and i think that tennessee game last year was where i knew that like oh this might this might really just happen we should probably just go ahead and do this yeah <laughs> and by do this i mean win the national championship <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly so i i feel like i would like to see another moment like that this season like like y'all i don't know when that's going to happen florida tennessee something like that i don't think it's going to be south carolina mississippi state um, probably would you know, be my knock on wood. prediction um (laughs) knock on wood not to not to bait um the gods mediocre south carolina because we know what happens with that but um so but yeah i'm i'm curious to see what happens when when someone comes out and uh has a good like scripted first drive for us right um to see how we respond to that and then how we sort of like tamp down that momentum for the rest which i really Uh, but i don't which i I really
1: thought that that would be organ it just set up that it would make sense that Dan yeah. Laning could have a good offensive plan and gets this team and nope. Yeah.
0: I thought they'd at Not least today. have a, a really solid first drive and maybe, you know, score a field goal, like, you know, get on the board um, because they, they theoretically should have been able to. Um, but yeah. So now I don't know exactly when that's going to happen and I'm just sort of waiting for it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it feels funny. It feels funny to be in this place. And it's Mm -hmm. not settled in like we had hoped it would after last year or at any point during the season last year, because there were many points last year where we sat here and looked at stats and said, No, this is a really good team. This is a super, super good team. But it's this is obviously a very good team now and we're just trying to figure out well how good is right. it is it does it is it relo- uh, reloading or is it um rebuilding well, we've got, and it seems like it's, we have it's alabama much more problems. reloading than we previously expected yeah exactly yeah. we have alabama yeah. problems what's it look like for right? us right every every yeah. year
1: i mean if you think about alabama between 2009 and 2000 like you know 18 every year it was just like well is Ole miss going to do the old miss thing and if they don't well then i guess alabama is just going to win the national title <laughs> like it was and I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that I'm not saying we're you know de facto in the national title hunt, but I think, well, a, you know, once the college football playoff goes to 12 teams, we're just going to be in the college football playoff like oh, eight times out of ten probably, because that's just the way the sport works, and and. I'm not, I don't necessarily dis- s- subscribe to the sort of very pessimistic Stephen Godfrey view about the future of college football, but I do think it is interesting to think about UJ's place in the sport as we move forward into the era of like super teams and expanded college football playoffs, because there is going to be a level of like, I, like UJ's, we're the Yankees, man. Like we are, maybe we're not the Yankees, but we're certainly like the Astros or we're, we're like the Dodgers, right? Like. We may not, we not, sure. we, we may yeah. not be the Patriots, but we're certainly like, I don't, I mean, I don't know what the analogous NFL team is that just goes to the playoffs every year and every year as a contender, like the, that just has spent enough money that they just are going to go to the playoffs every year. That's, I think probably the future for UGA. Like I think about it from the Redcoats perspective. I know that we kind of, when, when I first started with the Redcoats in 2015 and we went to the first, uh, We went to the first SEC championship in 2017. We were like shocked. We were like, we didn't have a plan. We weren't ready. We didn't know what it was going to be like. And now it's just to the point where it's like, we are pre-planning for what do we do if we go to the SEC championship? What do we do if we go to Glendale? What do we could do if we go to the national championship in, I guess, Santa Clara or whatever? Like, we're already planning that stuff. And it's not that we want to jinx it. It's just that we don't want to be unprepared, right? And that's just sort of, I Mm -hmm. think, our place in the sport now. It's just something you do.
0: Yeah. Like, like (laughs) Alabama fans, you know, make travel plans in advance. They, they put aside money to, to go to postseason games, to go to the playoff, to go to the national championship. And like, you know, if I were, if I were a big, a big traveler, um, as far as, you know, football fans go, like I would be opening that, that extra savings account probably (laughs) at this point.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, before we. I know we're coming near the end of the this, this stats, this episode in general, but I wanted to ask um, game this weekend against Utah uh, beat another top 10 team. And so I kind of wanted to see if, you know, looking at the game on paper with the both of you real quick, if it tells us anything that we can expect, or it sort of um, bolsters any concerns, assuages any concerns, just kind of checking all that out for now, or at least just your observations from that, that game of, if either of you watched over the weekend.
1: I mean, I think Anthony Richardson is good, right? Like, that's one thing. I don't know. What do you? <laughs> what? <are> you, <laughs> Boom. I mean, <laughs> th- I, that was why they won. Is that they had Anthony Richardson. in yeah, setting cameras? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, looking at the game on paper, Utah had uh, over seventy-five percent win probability for like big chunks of the game. I mean, I don't know. Big big swings. Yeah. I don't know, Amanda. What do you think?
0: I I watched all but the first quarter. I think of that game. Um, mm. I was in in. In a transit between uh, Manhattan and Brooklyn for the first quarter. But, you know, I, like you, I think Anthony Richardson looked good. I I thought that, you know, Florida has just better athletes. Like, I don't think that uh, that's, like, surprising. I don't think it should surprise anybody that, like, Florida just came out with better dudes. Um, and I think that that was probably, like, much of the difference in the game from what I watched. Like, I wasn't that impressed with Utah's quarterback. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they got they got guys who can thump. But, like, at some point you got to do something else when you're playing a, mm-hmm. a team with, like, you know, uh, fast wide receivers and, and things like that. Uh, you, you have to be able to do a little bit extra. Um, so I – Florida looked, like, a little better than I expected them to. I'll, I'll give them that. Um, and then Utah looked a little bit worse than I expected them to. So, uh, I, I think that that game, I, I don't, I never really like took a side on whether or not I thought Utah was going to beat Florida, like before the game. Like, you know, I, I, I wanted to believe I would have preferred it if Utah had won, um, because that's funny and fuck the Gators, but, um, <laughs> but like, I just never quite bought it. Because I mean, Florida was bad enough last year to get their to get their coach fired, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I think that like in the beginning of the season, Florida almost beat Bama. Like, Florida Florida had mm-hmm. some uh, some uh, I think sort of uh, spiritual issues last year more than physical issues. <laughs> um, yeah. They, uh, I think we broke them psychologically. If you look at what uh, happened, you know, right before halftime in the cocktail party and what, and how they played for the rest of the season after that um, versus how they played before it. I think that uh, it was, you know, the, the, the mental portion of their game was just shot. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that with like, a new coach who seems to be well liked and well-regarded uh, and who seems to be trying to, to put together like a, a, legitimately competent football team that they looked like pretty decent. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess I feel about them how uh, basically how I expected to go on in. Um, I did not feel particularly impressed or uh, particularly worried, but I'm also not like super surprised that they won. It
2: is it is interesting to see uh, one sort of column uh, stat is the win probability added, and that's on a per player basis. And so looking down at Florida, Anthony Richardson, when dropping back, had a 27% win probability added, and 70% while running the ball, um, meaning he was very consequential to the win for this team, uh, as compared to Stetson Bennett's, was dropping back just 16%, and then that is the only player on Georgia's team that had anything higher than 10%, meaning that you know we just have a wealth of talent, and that we're getting the ball around. There's no one person that we're relying on to win this game for us, and so I guess it does feel okay. It feels okay that, you know, you can stop one guy. You can stop two guys. Um, it gets more difficult when you have to stop all the guys. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Something that really pleased me about how Georgia won that game is that we, we were just going to everybody. We were, Everybody was getting some, some catches. Everybody was, you know, we, we have a lot of guys who are capable of doing what we want them to do, even against like a, you know, I don't i can't decide how good i think oregon actually is um oregon Mm -hmm. has has had some pretty unserious um, attempts at football in the last Mm -hmm. year or two um i think (laughs) so you know i I don't want to oversell what oregon is in order to burnish what georgia did to them but um but it was nice to see that like we got a lot of guys who can catch it and take it downfield we got a lot of guys who can make tackles we got a lot of guys who can make interceptions um shout out to starks uh, one of those mm-hmm, beautiful mm-hmm. downfield interceptions. And I he just seen read rec- rec- the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. True freshman. Um, so, you know, pl- teams that have to rely on like the theatrics of one guy, I think are at a disadvantage. And I think Florida might be in that space right now where if like, you know, if Anthony Richardson can get it going, then Florida's going to be like pretty okay in games. But like, I don't think teams like that are generally a good matchup to teams that where like a lot of guys can get it going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I feel pretty yeah. okay.
2: Not too bad. Yeah. Do we have anything else we want to throw in here before we sort of wrap it up? We've been hanging out for quite. Yeah, some we time have. Now.
0: I I feel
1: I feel obliged uh, as they are as we have a fifty dollar patron couple. I feel obliged to add off to answer one of their questions or whatever.
2: We have a question coming from Cap Falcon, one of our Patreon questions, and it is: If you had to guess, the spirit of which coach possessed Kirby to let Stetson try out an air raid offense? God, who's haunting
1: them old bones? I mean, I would. Are there any of the air raid coaches dead right now? Is Hal Mummy alive? Because if not, it's definitely Hal Mummy.
0: I feel like Hal Mummy I'm died. Google
2: dead air raid coaches. No, how Mummy. And see what Hal Google Mummy's
0: brings
1: me. Hal still alive. So.
0: Wow, He's, I didn't know Gorbachev was still alive either. So
2: it
1: might have been. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, it might have too. been Gorbachev. <laughs> that might have been the missing link. That was why UGA's <laughs> offenses were so like recidivist in the past. Is that
0: we we needed Gorbachev to die for, in order for our passing game to live? Yeah,
1: exactly. He Ugh, that's he what got was. into he got into Kirby's body, and he was like, in the same way that I let the wall come down, you have to let <laughs> you have to let Stetson pass it. <laughs>
2: let your own walls yeah. come down i feel like that's a, that's this is a lesson in letting yeah, go yeah it's a lesson to let it go exactly
1: <laughs> I, although i will say like again i know this is a joking question but i really do think this was always the plan like i i'm not i'm not i, I don't want to be like an aliens guy or whatever but you you don't hire todd munkin if you don't want to throw the ball downfield because that's what he's done at every mm-hmm. stop yeah everywhere and in fact when he was in the NFL yeah. he was known as a guy who threw to a million tight ends. I think this is always the plan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know like I tend to agree with that because like why would he stick around if he wasn't gonna get to let him throw it around? Like yeah. why why not leave and go somewhere else if, you know, if you're being hamstrung and not allowed to to work towards like running your offense like you know, there's other places that would that would pay him and let him and let him do what he wants. So I, I have always been of the belief that, like you know, trust the process. Yeah,
1: exactly. Mm-hmm. Trust the process. Well, this has been an awesome episode. Let go, let God. Thank you so much for joining us, Amanda. We hope to we hope to see you again here many times as our. Of course,
2: this was super fun. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, it was our absolute yeah, pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. Yeah. Uh, so, Justin, do you want to take us out? Uh, yeah. So, you know, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you liked what you heard today, you can like and subscribe, and or. Join our Patreon for just one dollar a month. You can get in on live shows like the one that we're doing right now for all the folks in our Discord. You are the first person that would get to know that we have guests like Amanda Mole hanging out with us in the Discord. Also, it just costs one dollar. So if you want to send one dollar our way just monthly, that would be fantastic. We would love that so so much. If you need to ask us anything, make sure you get those to us through either Twitter, Gmail, or anywhere else you can sort of find us by searching Chapel Bell Curve. Uh, we will get to those, and you might just hear your questions asked and answered on the show but we are going to i believe have a review episode or preview episode coming up very shortly for the upcoming game in the classic city against the bizarre bulldogs uh and until then go dogs, dogs.